Father, thank you so much that you're a great, mighty, and awesome God. You're so much higher. You're so much greater. And we come to you this morning to acknowledge that, to praise you for that, and then to worship you. We pray this morning as we open your word that you would speak to our hearts, that you would fill us, lead us, and empower us to be the people that you want us to be. Thank you for this church and the people in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. And as you're turning there, I just want to remind you what we're doing in this series. We're looking through the Word of God to see what God's Word says about our view of Scripture. The place that it has, that is God's Word, in our lives as individuals. And then also, we're seeing the place that God's Word has in the life of the church, the people of God. And we've turned back to this, new, this Old Testament example where the children of Israel had been in exile for 70 years. And if you'll remember correctly, they had not experienced a fresh renewal, a fresh word from God, direction from God. As a matter of fact, there's an entire generation that had grown up in bondage, in discouragement, sorrow, and without the hope that God intended for his people. And then we find the children of Israel back at this place where they are once again free to experience God. And the first thing that they do is to ask for the book. And we saw that the, their very great need was the Word of God. And then last week we also see as they express that need, they, they vocalize that need, bring us the book. Then, then the, the, the pastors and the leaders and the teachers had a grave responsibility to bring, to teach, and explain what the Scriptures say. And the congregation or the people of God had a very grave responsibility then to receive the Word of God. And we, we made an agreement. We made a commitment to one another that that's the kind of people that we want to be as well because there are certain things that happen when we go to God's Word as the authority in our life to find everything that we need and to find the hope and peace that God has for us. And this morning, we're going to finish that study by looking at the great, the wonderful results. So you're in Nehemiah chapter 8. Read with me if you will. We're just going to pick right up in verse 8 and continue. Verse 8 says, So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, all said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Verse 10. Then he said to them, Go on your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those to whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions, and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. And so there's very great results that happen when we do this thing, when we really let God's word be what God intends for it to be. And we, we find out that there are three results. I'm going to give them to you right up front. And then we're going to go back and look at each one. First of all, the joy of the Lord. We, we find the joy of the Lord when we go to God's word and he leads us in the joy. Secondly, we find supernatural understanding. We're going to see that there's an understanding that comes that we can't otherwise access when we follow the word of the Lord. And then finally, we're going to read it in just a minute. We haven't read it yet, but there was also this thing called very great, great gladness. Now listen, you, you might be somewhere out listening on the radio or maybe at home, or, or maybe this week you've experienced some kind of tough things. Anybody, listen, anybody had a tough week? Some, yeah, okay. We've had a family member pass away in our church. There's two funerals this week. There's sorrow involved for sure 
when we lose a loved one. There is sorrow involved in many other areas of life. And isn't it good to know that when we come to this church and read the, what the Word of God says, that one of the results that we can experience, one of those things that we can claim is called very great gladness. Is that a good thing? Amen, it is. And so let's look first at the joy of the Lord. It says there in verse 10, we just read it, that they were, they were, they were crying and weeping. You've got to understand, this is a people who hadn't heard the word of God for 70 years. And so when they first heard what the scriptures were teaching, they noticed very quickly that what it's saying that we should do and what it's saying we should be is not where we're at. And their response is incredible. Their response is sort of repentant. It's humble. It's remorseful. It's, oh God, you says that we, you, your word says we should be doing this. What you say is this, but when we look at ourselves, we don't see that happening. And so they, they, they were mourning and they were weeping and they were wailing. And, and, and the leaders came behind and said, listen, don't, don't mourn. Don't sorrow. Why? Because God's leading you to be restored. God's leading you back and you're at a place of, of listening and obeying God and you're about to experience him. And he says, you're experiencing this day that's holy, the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. There's a few things about joy that I think it would be helpful for us to see in the Bible. I like to call these the jewels of joy. Because traditionally, Jews are kind of, jewels are kind of valuable, aren't they? I mean, they're shiny, and, and, and they're, they're beautiful. And I mean, we're not the only ones. Throughout the history of mankind, jewels have been something that have been cherished and sought after. They're very valuable. And so joy also is something that we should cherish. It's something that comes from God. It's very valuable, but we need to understand what the scriptures say about joy. So the first jewel, or the first thing we're going to see about joy, is that joy is always available. It's always there for us, the people of God. Turn in your Bible, if you want to see that, to Psalm chapter 30. Psalm 30. Now, this is a verse that I was sharing with some of our loved ones in our congregation that have suffered loss this week because they're experiencing sorrow and in verse 5 Psalm 30 verse 5 it says for the anger his anger is but for a moment his favor is for life now watch this weeping may endure through the night hey listen it's okay to weep it's okay to experience sorrow joy isn't something that comes in our life to prevent difficult things from happening Joy is the lubrication, the oil that reduces the friction when those difficult things do come. It prevents us from being buried under sorrow because according to this verse, it doesn't just finish with weeping may endure for the night. That's the start, but it also says it continues, but joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure. Weeping has a season. There's a season of difficulty that may come. It might come because God's disciplined and we've been disobedient as the children of God. It might come simply because the events of life and we live in a fallen world and difficult things happen. Hey, listen, it might even come because God orchestrates and allows difficult things in our life. Regardless of the source of sorrow, joy always comes in the morning. Joy is available. You might be here or you might be listening this morning, wherever you are, and you're just overwhelmed with circumstances. It's, it's a burden. It's heavy. It's dark. You don't know where to go. There's no direction. Listen, be free this morning in this truth. No matter where you are, even if you got there yourself, there's always joy available at your fingertips. Joy is always available. I had the privilege and the experience of 
ministering to several of our um, military servicemen who've come back from Iraq and Afghanistan over the years. And one of the things that they really struggle with is PTSD. Some of you are familiar with that. Post-traumatic stress. They call it disorder. I don't really like to call it a disorder, but post-traumatic stress. And that's where they're exposed to so many horrific things that they come back and they, and they just can't come back down off of the shock and the horror that they've experienced. And it's a really a very real. Some of our police officers are very well familiar with PTSD and maybe you in your own life. One of the things that I learned in loving and ministering to those who have suffered with PTSD is they, they, they are trying every way they can to get away from this monster. It might be a, a reoccurring image or it might be a thought or a fear or it might just be this instant rush of adrenaline that they just cannot control. Whatever it is, it's this monster in their life. And so many of them turn to drugs or alcohol or many of them turn to some other form of hiding from the monster and they just can't seem to escape it. And I learned through the process that there is one thing that can help them with this monster. It's the joy of the Lord. And so I try to lead them to hear and see in the Word of God where it says, if you will, if you will just, just ignore the monster for long enough to see and hear what God's saying and then begin to respond to what you see, God, the joy comes in the morning. And listen, I found out that joy helps them defeat the monster in the room instead of hide from it. It's not foolproof, but it certainly does great for those who are suffering. And the joy can do that in our lives as well. Joy, listen, I, I'm not moving on until I, I sense that you understand and you get this. So, so we're just going to stay here today until you understand and agree. Joy is always available. Do you agree? Yes. All right, we're there. It's right there for you. And maybe you've been living in joy, or maybe it's just something that you desperately seek for tomorrow. Joy is available for you. Now, the second thing is also important. The second jewel about joy is this. We learn that joy is found in God's presence. So where do I go to find this joy? When does it come in the morning? How can I find there? Well, it's in God's presence. And if you turn to Psalm 16, this, this guy writing these psalms, by the way, that we've read, by the name of David, was someone who was well acquainted with sorrow. He was also well acquainted with messing up like many of you and I here today and experiencing the consequences of not following God. Yet he's writing so much about joy because he also found the jewels of joy. Now, you're in Psalm 16. I want you to read with me. We're going to back up, take a run at it. Let's look in verse 7, Psalm 16, verse 7. Let's see what the Bible says about joy being found in God's presence. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel, he says. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons... I have set the Lord always before me. Mark that verse. We're going to come back to that. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you shall not leave me in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Look at verse 11. You will show me that the path of life in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, first of all, we're going to work backwards. First of all, it says very clearly, second half of verse 11. Do you see it? Look with your eyes in your own Bible. Make sure you see it there. In your presence is the fullness of joy. The word fullness there, sova, sova in the Hebrew, it's the word literally, it just simply means to be fulfilled. To be, like when you're really, really, really thirsty and you finally get some of that water, that refreshment, or when you're really hungry, and you're able to get some food, and, and you've had, you know, not 
overfull, like me, but you just have had enough and it satisfies you? That's the word there. Your presence is the satisfying, fulfilling nature, the fulfillment, the fullness of joy. It's not just a little bit of joy. It's the joy that you need to be satisfied. It's the joy that you were created to experience that God satisfies you with. Now, none of us would turn that joy away. We want that joy. We're looking for that joy, right? Well, where is it found? Watch this. We're working backwards. It's in his presence. Well, how do I get to his presence? Look at the verse before that. Verse 11, the first half. You will show me the path of life. The path. Watch this. The path of God will lead us to the presence of God. And the presence of God will lead us to the joy of God. And so his presence is found by following his paths. Now listen, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know something. All the joy you have never even known is available to you. And it's found in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you will personally accept what he has done for you, died on the cross for your sins, and you will personally make that choice to believe and trust in him, you will experience this joy everlasting that we're talking about. You will be once and for all fulfilled in the joy of God, but you still, like the rest of us, must choose to follow his paths to remain in his presence. That's what the psalmist is saying here. See, go back to verse 8. I I told you we'd go back there. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. I think sometimes we misread that. We get the idea that he's, um, David, like you and I, just a regular person, has the, the ability to take God from wherever he is and draw him over to where we are and set him at our right hand. It gives us the idea that whatever we set our heart to do, we can just bring God there and we'll experience his presence and therefore his joy. That's not what it means at all. Listen, friend, you can't drag God anywhere. Just try. What it means is, I have aligned myself so that I have God in focus. It's like the old World War II fighter pilots. They would set the enemy planes in their sights. Well, they didn't reach out and grab the enemy plane and put them in their front in their sights, did they? No, they move themselves in the airplane in order to line up the enemy in exactly the right place, to put them in their sights, to set it in their sights. That's what it means here. I have set the Lord always before me. I have moved. I have made adjustments. I have submitted and yielded and surrendered to what God reveals through his word, and therefore I have set him in my sights. He is at my right hand. And then there is a path that lays before me. There is a way, beware, church, of all the false paths that are being offered today. They don't lead to joy. It might look like they lead to joy. There's, there's a false joy. Those aren't, how do, I, how do I find those? Anytime you're being led down a path that leads to your personal comfort over your character, that's a false path. Anytime you're being led down a path in life or making decisions in life that is leading to exalt the physical above the spiritual, that's a false path. Anytime you're leading down a path that satisfies, that gratifies the immediate need, the present, over what might happen in the future, that's a false path. So what are some examples of these paths as they unfold before us, as we line ourselves up when we see God's word and set ourselves so that we can see him? He's at our right hand. So let me give you just three quick examples. The first one is this. The path of considering others before yourself. 
See, this path shows up in life all the time. It might, it might be, listen, it doesn't make sense, right? When, when you consider somebody else's needs before your own, and there's an opportunity in front of you or a circumstance that comes or a decision that needs to be made, let's think about your relationships, okay? Draw it home, make it personal. Your current relationships. What does it look like to walk a path of life where you are considering the others before yourselves? Listen, that path will take you to the presence of God. It comes from the Word of God. Here's another one. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, we can quote that and we can teach our kids about that, but I'm, I'm curious, do you live that way? Do you make your everyday life decisions based on following that path? See, that path leads to God. When, 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 we, when we seek to arrange in our life ways that we can receive at the expense of what we might be able to give, there, there might be an instant gratification that's called a false joy. It doesn't last. It doesn't come in the next morning. It leaves you empty and unfulfilled. But the, but, but the path that leads to the presence of God, that's the fulfillment of joy. It's much more in the presence of God to give than it is to receive. Finally, we need to learn this path in the church in America today. And I think the church in America today could learn it by watching Cross Point Community Church. And that is this. To serve and to give yourself away. To serve others and give yourself away. That's a, that's a godly path. Wherever you are in life, if you're looking for the path, God, show me the path that, that will take me to your presence. Somewhere in that direction will be serving others. Giving yourself away for the glory of God. It's going to be in there. If you're not doing that, you're on some other path. And, and listen, when I look around Crosspoint Community Church, I see joy in our church. I see joy that is not manufactured. It's not created just so we can put on a good face and, and make the pastor happy or the staff happy or my husband or spouse happy. It's a joy that comes from inside, from the presence of God, and it comes because this church is filled with people who serve God and give their lives away to others. Listen, well done, Cross Point Community Church. Well done. That's where your joy comes from. But what I want to tell you this morning is don't forget that. That that's where that joy comes from. Don't buy into the chase and the pursuit of the false joy because it's going to be tempting at times. Does that make sense? Joy is always available, joy is found in God's presence. Before we move on, let me give you a little exercise this week. It might be helpful for you. It's helpful for me. Sit down in your quiet time as you're reading God's Word and make a list of those things in your life that you know God is calling you to do that don't make sense in the eyes of the world. Make a list. Hey, I'd like to see a page and a half of those things in my life. If you can't find a list of things that God is calling you to do that don't make sense to the rest of the world, that defy logic and human reasoning, then chances are you're not really hearing from God somewhere. And so you go into the scriptures and you listen and you open yourselves and you weep as the children of God did so that you can find joy in the morning. That's the path to his presence. Now, there's two joys, jewels that we've knocked down. There's a third one we need to look at. You can remain in joy. 
You can remain in joy. I'm going to show you what the Bible teaches about that. Turn to John chapter 15. It's important to experience the joy of the Lord. But hey, guess what? You don't have to just get there on Sundays. The joy of the Lord doesn't really have to be this intermittent piece of God's glory that we just sort of intersect with randomly or or at certain times. It could be something that we actually remain in, the state of joy. Not that sorrow doesn't come or difficulties don't come. They do. But to remain in God's joy in the midst of those, you can remain in joy. Now, John chapter 15, we looked at this last week. I want you to read with me, beginning in verse 9. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Time out. Put your finger right there, and if you would, look this way. What is he saying so far? He's saying, listen, just like God the Father loved me, I'm also loving you. He's, showing, he's using his relationship with the Father as the example. Do you see it? He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide, remain, stay in my love, just as, what's the example? Jesus says, I have kept my Father's commandments, and you see in my life how I have kept in the Father's love. Now we continue, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you. Why are you teaching us this, Jesus? What's the point? That my joy may remain in you. Notice what he does not say. That my joy may, every once in a while, find its way into your life. That's not what he says. Jesus says, I'm teaching you this, and I'm passionately pleading with you so that you would learn this. Why? So that your joy may be full. That you may remain in my joy. And that your joy may be full. You see it? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Folks, there's a connection between love and joy. There's a connection there. And, and, and sometimes we manufacture a form of love so that we might experience a manufactured form of joy. But Jesus is very clear in this teaching. Listen, listen to what he says. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Now watch, look in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How do I remain in joy? Well, I abide in his commandments, and I love my brother and sister as the Lord loved me. Now don't forget that last part. Love one another. Oh, I love my brothers and sisters. I love them all the time. Really? Here's the question. Are you loving them as the Lord loves you? Let, let me just remind you, in case you've forgotten, I didn't to be reminded as well, the way that the Lord loves me is this, even when I'm not at my very best. Jesus loves me in, when I was in vile, disobedient, rebellious sin. He gave his entire life and shed his own blood for my sins. That is the perfect picture of loving me even when I'm not at my best. And so the question is, are you loving one another as Jesus loved you, even when they're not at their best? That's the love that abides and remains in the joy of the Lord. Let me just speak to dads and 
moms for a minute, maybe dads a little more. We're trying to raise kids, some of us, and if you, a lot of grandparents, you're still trying to raise your kids. And you're trying to raise your grandkids too, in some cases. I, I know that. And, and listen, we try to set good examples for them and the things that we want them to learn. And we, we expend all these efforts and do all these things to teach them and train them and do the right things. And I I've did it myself, and I've seen so many young parents do it today. We, we spend so much effort trying to make them into something we want them to be. Dads of young boys, this, I never had this privilege. The Lord gave me all three girls. He knew I couldn't handle three boys, so he just said, I'll just, let me just help you here. And he gave me three girls, and, and yeah, anyway. So, but I, I watched this fathers of sons, and, and you're trying to train them and make them better hunters and sportsmen, and, and they know the statistics on TV of the sports channels and all that stuff. Hey, that's all fine, well, and good. That has its place. But listen, guys, they're boys. They're going to shoot, kill, trap, destroy something on their own. They're going to get good at it. Right? They don't need a whole lot of training. And by the way, it's not going to lead them to the Lord's joy. Let me tell you, dads. Let me tell you what will set your children up to experience something that you really want them to have. The joy of the Lord all their lives. Teach them to love others, even when others are not at their best. Julie reminds me of this principle in this passage when I'm driving on the freeways in San Diego. You cut me off, you dummy. Is that, and that's just a simple example, and I realize, you know, we lose it all the time, but, but is that really modeling for my children, loving others as the Lord loves me? Or is that modeling them, I only accept somebody when they don't cut me off, when they don't interrupt me, when they don't block my goals. Listen, what's at stake here is the presence of God and the joy of God for our families, for our children, for our churches. You can remain in joy. Abiding in the Lord's commandments, remain in the word, let the word direct and guide you, and continue to love one another as the Lord loves us. Finally, the fourth jewel of joy. You ready? We're going to complete our crown here of jewels. Joy brings strength. We can turn all the way back to Nehemiah chapter 8. Joy actually brings strength into our life. They were, they were mourning, the children of Israel. They were weeping because they saw their own disobedience. They saw where they were not experiencing the blessing of God because they didn't know the word of God. And the leaders came and said, this day is holy unto the Lord. Why is it holy? Because the people were repentant before God. Hey, time out. Listen, I hope this doesn't run me over, but I got to do this. Time out. At the end of the service today, we're going to have this time, we call it the invitation time. And I'm going to ask you to come up here to the altar. And some of you, some of you already sat rigid in your seat. Oh, you're not moving me. I'm not, coming. I'm not moving. Can I? I don't want you to do this for anybody but God. But see if this speaks to your heart. What's holy unto the Lord is when God's people are genuinely repentant before him. And the only reason I do that at the end of the service is because you have heard from the word of God for 50 minutes from me. 
And you must have an opportunity to respond to that. Maybe it's brokenness. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's rejoicing. Maybe it's just, okay, God, I will do what you say. But some response to God that makes this time holy. And I say we're not having a holy experience in this place if we're not allowing God to be God and direct our lives. It's not worship. It's called something else. It's called a show. And I'm not here to put on a show. You're not here to attend a show. We want to experience the holiness of God. And I invite you, just come do something with what God has revealed to you. And I want to see this altar full Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Why? Because it makes you a better preacher? No, I'm I'm an awful preacher. I'm fumbling my way through this and just relying upon the power of God, but I desperately want and need for God to speak to your heart. And the Bible says that He promises to do that when we gather. And I want to see, is God speaking to you? Is he, is he motivating you? Is He calling you? Is He empowering you? Is there anything of God's Word that penetrates that little shell on top of your heart? If there is, I'm asking you today, just come forward. All you have to do is this. God, you're so right. Thank you. I'm going to do that this week. I'm sorry I didn't do that. I love you. And walk back to your seat. And there's something that causes the life of the church to come alive when people respond to the holiness of God. All right, where was I? Got me distracted on that. Oh, yeah, that's right. We were moving on. First of all, one of the results is the joy of the Lord. Another result of bringing the book is supernatural understanding. I love this. You know, listen, church, you're always going to be limited by the natural in your understanding. We have some pretty smart characters here among us. I'm not one of them, but I've f- picked out a few already. That, that, guy, that guy, that gal, they're really smart. They're intelligent. I wish I was as smart as some of you, but you need to understand this. No matter how smart you are or intelligent you are, there will still always be some understanding that you need that you cannot gain. You can't figure it. You can't analyze it. You can't memorize it. It has to be revealed. There's some treasure in God's heart that he wants you to have. And it takes the Spirit of God to supernaturally peel back the natural of your understanding and reveal it to you. That's called supernatural understanding. And you you understand, we all need that. And that's a result of what? Of legalistically going to church every Sunday? No. Of of making sure that my life looks all clean and put together before others? No, it's a result of bringing the book, opening your heart to the Word of God and receiving it. Supernatural understanding. Now, the key to understanding things supernaturally is how you view Scripture, how you approach it. These people, in the example, we're reading it right here, verse 10, Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send the portions to those to whom nothing is prepared. You with me? You like this. Okay, you're with me. For this day is holy to the Lord. Now watch. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites quieted all the people, saying, be still, for it's holy. Do not be grieved. And verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat, drink, send portions, and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared. They understood. God gave them understanding. 
that was beyond what was natural. It, it really depends on how you view, how you approach God's Word. I have a little illustration for you this morning. I have three sets of lenses. And I think sometimes we go to the Word of God with a certain lens on. We're looking for certain things. We view them from a certain standpoint before we even read what the Word of God says. And, and, and I'm just going to use this as an example, okay? Now, sometimes we put these, these bright yellow-orange glasses on, the lenses. Why? Because we want to go to the Word of God, and we want it to be brighter than it really is. We already set out before we read and hear and understand God's Word to know that we want something that makes us feel good. It excites us. And listen, friend, if you go to God's Word and the goal, the lens that you view it through is, I want to get excited and feel good, there are some things that you're going to miss. It might hinder or interrupt the supernatural understanding because you're limiting it with your natural expectations. Somebody ought to write that down. I think I'll write, write something about that. That's, that's one lens. Sometimes we approach the Word of God with different lenses on. We put the shaded lenses on. These aren't mine, so they don't fit my face, and I know I look goofy, but I'm hoping it helps. We, we want to, sh- you know, there's too, there's, we go to God's Word, and we know that there's just too much brightness, too much of the holiness of God, too much of the stark contrast to the way that we live and the, the way that we think. And so we already approach our view of the Scriptures with this subdued, I'm looking for the things that are not so uncomfortable. I'm looking for the things that aren't so drastically different than me. And listen, hey, listen. You say, does that really happen? Guys, they build entire churches with these lenses. How do you view Scripture? What's your approach before you begin to hear from God's Word? The final lens that I have for you is, these are my prescription glasses and you all actually just became wonderfully clear to me we have those prescriptions you know when your eyesight gets bad that magnify the, and these are the ones I, I put on when I want to be academic right because I need, to, I need to really get studious and I need to study and put and listen I'm, there's nothing wrong with feeling good from the scriptures there's nothing wrong with, with, with being so shocked by the difference and the contrast of God's word that you want to dull it for a minute. There's nothing wrong with studying the scriptures. All those things have their place. But listen, when your view of scripture, when you approach scripture to see what kind of knowledge you can put together, to see what kind of information you can master, sometimes you miss the supernatural understanding. Sometimes. So what lenses should I put on, pastor? What, how should I view the word of God? Let me help you with that this morning. Every single time you view, approach, listen to, begin to receive God's word, if you will view it through these lenses, you will receive supernatural understanding. I promise you. It's the lenses of God himself. Who is God? That's why I'm reading the scriptures. I want the Bible, the path, the way to take me to the presence of the God who wrote, who authored, who exists eternally. I want to know who God is. I want to know what God says. I want to know what God does. And when we view the scriptures that way, he begins to peel back the layers of natural understanding and reveal things that no eye has seen or no ear has ever heard. And we receive supernatural understanding. Make sure we're viewing the scriptures through the correct lens so that we understand 
who God really is. That's why I read the word, to know God. Do you? All right. The joy of the Lord is, is one of the results, the wonderful results. Supernatural understanding is one of the results of bringing the book. Finally, I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, and we'll close here. Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm going to read a little bit of the passage here to give you some sense of what's going on, to understand what it means to have very great gladness. The third result is very great gladness. Now, they had just told the people, you heard from God and you wept because you realized you were wrong, you needed to make adjustments, and be glad because you get to make these adjustments. Okay, continue with me in verse 13. Now it says, now on the second day, the hands of the father's houses, all the, the heads of the father's houses, all the people with the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, in order to understand the words of the law. More understanding. Verse 14, and they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring the olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. And then the people went out and brought them and made booths, each one on the roof of his house or in the courtyards, or in the courts of the house of God, and in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and sat under the booths, for since the days of Joshua the son of Nun, until the day of the children of Israel had not done so. And mark this right here, and there was very great gladness. Very great gladness. The word for gladness there is sort of like gaiety. It's sort of like pleasure and happiness. But it's also a word that refers to the outward expression of gaiety and happiness. God's people, having experienced what God says and then done it, watch me, have a lot to celebrate. There's, there's a lot at stake when we do what God tells us to do. They hadn't done it for 70 years, and it says they made booze, and it's a funny thing. If you really watch it, they're literally building these little huts out of, out of branches, and they're living in them for a number of days to celebrate what God has done. And w- the Word of God said for them to do that. And when they did it, there was celebration and joy. I don't know if that's a natural reason for me to celebrate. I like my house just fine, thank you very much. I like being sheltered from the animals and from the weather. What a weird thing to celebrate, to rejoice over, to be in these booths. But you see, that's not what they were rejoicing over. They were rejoicing over having heard and understood God and then responded it and experienced the joy that comes from that. Sometimes, sometimes church people, followers of Jesus Christ, If I were to describe your outward expression, I would say, it looks like you've been sucking on a lemon. You get what I'm saying? Some of you, you, like me, sometimes get these, we're not expressing joy. 
We're not experiencing very great gladness. Our brows are furrowed, and we're worried, and we're distraught, and some of us are angry. And listen, some of us are even bitter at some things that have happened to us, and that's our countenance. Listen, you're only one step away from that being changed to joy, to very great gladness. No matter where you are in your life, it doesn't matter. If you will bring the book and view God's scriptures through the lens of wanting to know who God is, when he reveals, listen, when he reveals, you just simply do what God says. If you and I will respond by making adjustments, by doing what he says to do, by aligning ourselves up correctly, the Bible says that we're promised very great gladness. That's the result. Oh yeah, by the way, that very great gladness is for the Lord's sake. It's not just for you. It's for the Lord's sake. If, if you go all the way back sometime, look at the beginning of the history of Israel. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1 of Nehemiah, you'll see this again. God makes very clear what his intention is with that people. And his intention is to make his name known. That's what God wants to do. That's his purpose. Hey, what's the purpose at Cross Point Community Church? To make his name known. And there should be something going on in your relationship with God that you have reason to celebrate that brings an outward expression of the joy of responding to God. That's our evangelism strategy. That's how we're going to grow this church. It's not some program or some slick solution. It's you obey and follow God, and you take the goodness of God from where you're seated in this place, and you bring it to the people in your lives and the neighborhood. You're the one sharing the gospel in the joy of God that brings the salvation of God. You and me. For his name's sake. We can't go out there with leaflets and academic studies and pieces of cloth or whatever else it is. Only thing we have to take to the lost and dying, hopeless world around us is the joy of the Lord as He has changed our lives. And listen, that's all you need. That's all you need. I guarantee you, church, if you start taking that to your neighbors and to your co-workers and to the friend you have, then we can start bringing in more chairs in here. Then we can start filling the balcony. Then we can start expanding how we do the logistics of ministry. But until then, we're not doing anything. For his name's sake. It's not for mine. It's not for yours. Bring the book. So that when God speaks, and he reveals, we can experience the joy of responding to him. And the change and the very great gladness that comes with that. And we take it out for his name's sake. And finally, let me just say this it's not so hard. It's really not so hard. There there are church growth conferences that I have gone to, and I've walked away from some of these with my little notebook and study manual. I think you have to be a PhD to even understand this manual, much less lead a church to experience it. I don't have some slick formula. I have something very easy that comes from the Word of God for you and I to do. Look to God in His Word. Respond 
to what he reveals and celebrate. Does that sound hard? No, no, no. Put the right lenses on. Look to God for God. And when he reveals himself, when he begins to show himself, then you and I just simply say, oh, okay, that's how I need to respond and be obedient to God and remain in his presence. And then don't forget, don't forget to celebrate that. And celebrating that comes in so many different forms. One of those forms is to share outwardly, express it to those who don't know Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, they're going to see your lives, and they're going to see very great gladness, and they're going to come running to this place to find out what's going on. Because the world is looking for very great gladness, peace, and joy, and Jesus Christ offers it. How about you? Have you ever received what Jesus Christ offers? As we get ready to close this morning, I want to ask you personally, have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? He died on the cross, literally paid the ultimate penalty for sin. Not for his own sin, but for yours and for mine. And if we will choose to accept that and believe, the Bible says that we will be saved, receive everlasting life, freely given by God, because of what Jesus did for us. That's a pretty good deal. And I want to ask you, have you ever settled that in your own heart? Would you bow with me and pray? Perhaps you've never settled that issue in your own heart. I'm going to ask you right now. Just in your own words, pray along with me something similar to this. You and God. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I cannot get to heaven, to you, on my own. But I believe Jesus, your son, died on the cross for my sins, and I trust in his death for my own sins. Please come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. I receive you by faith right now. now if you prayed that prayer, just hold on right there. Just pray to God. Thank him. I'm going to lead some others in prayer. Perhaps you have already trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the truth is that your life really isn't characterized by joy or very great gladness right now for whatever reason. Your reasons are personal. They're yours. They're your own. They're real. But the truth this morning from God's word says that joy comes in the morning. And you just simply want to respond to that this morning. You simply want to rejoice or you simply want to weep Or agree with God. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to step up and come to the altar. Maybe you can just stand or sit. Just spend a moment and do business with God. Just respond some way to what God has revealed to you. And that's how we will worship in these last final moments of our service together. I'm going to invite you to come right now. If God's speaking to your heart, would you come to the altar? If you prayed to receive Jesus Christ for the first time this morning, come to the altar. Come thank Jesus and offer your life to him. God spoke to your heart in some way this morning. Perhaps it was just, God, I see that. I agree. I want to do what you say. Would you come now? I'm going to be quiet and stand aside, and I'm going to give you time just to come forward. Lead your families. Lead your spouse. Respond to God.